Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come into this place, we want to see Christ. Not I, but Christ in me. Lord, I pray that as the Word of God is opened, that we will feast upon it. On this Labor Day, we're asked to rest from our toil, to be able to come and fellowship at our Savior's feet. Lord, I thank you that we can open our mouths and sing praise to you because you have revealed to us the best news that's ever been given called the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. If you could bring, uh, please be seated, put the uh, word cloud up. I always want to be able to tell you who we are when you come to New Covenant Church. Uh, we are a, uh, a church that is unaffiliated uh, at the current time, but we are not ashamed of who we are. When you look up there, you'll be able to see some of the things that are so important to us. And uh, sometimes I wonder whether you even know what they all are. You know, when we use adjectives like uh, worship cherishing, I think that's pretty self-explanatory. But when you get into other things like uh, gospel-driven or uh, multi-generational, some folks don't always understand what all this means. That's part of the reason why we want to offer that new members class, the inquirers class. But, but I definitely want everybody to see what's big and bold is that we're Bible-believing. You can always count that when you come to New Covenant, you will always be able to hear the Word of God read and preached. Expository preaching is what we believe the Holy Spirit will use to change your life, to open up blind eyes, or as I like to call it, to give you the helicopter view of faith, so that you can not only see God, but you can see the beauty of holiness, the ugliness of sin, and you can see the value of every human soul, even before the heartbeat as there's now at least acknowledging in Texas. When we come to the church today, please open your Bibles uh, to the book of Joshua. It's the sixth book of the Bible. Uh, it, is, it is something that we uh, have mentioned before. The name Joshua is similar to the Old Testament Jesus. And when you're opening up, you're going to find that uh, Moses has wrote, written the uh, first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, so the first five books we call the Pentateuch, and then the next 12 books are called the historical books. Then there come five poetry books, and then the rest is the uh, five major prophets and the 12 minor prophets. You find the 39 books of the Old Testament. I don't know if you treasure them. Some folks, even in Christendom, look at the Old Testament and say it's irrelevant. That is not true at all. Uh, in fact, in the church here, we always want to have Old and New Testament words read because the whole Word of God is inspired. It is, it is as I always say, it's inerrant, inspired, and infallible in its originals. And that's why when we're looking at the Word of God, we should reverently attend to it. And we're going to be looking at today's text, which is uh, found for you uh, in Joshua chapter 7, verses 19 through 21. This is God's Word. Then Joshua said to Achan... My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now, and this, then he looks at him, he says, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar 
and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. Then I coveted them and took them and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. Boy, pastor, this is an exciting passage to preach on Labor Day. I want to reread it to you with a little bit of context. I want you to know that this is a part of the history of a new transition. And by way of introduction, you'll, you'll understand it so much better as I did when I first learned. Moses was telling us a, a, a picture of the Christian life. When, when, and when you start in the book of Exodus, you find the people of God in bondage. They're trapped. They're in Egypt. Now, they want to get free. They're struggling. They're unhappy. Slavery is not a good place to be. And so, from the book of Genesis, excuse me, from the book of Exodus on, you find this story of salvation or a story of deliverance. And so, the deliverer that's raised up, and it takes about 80 years for all to happen, for Moses to be born, to grow up and get some of his, uh, you know, get some of the training. And then finally, when he gets called by God to come and be the deliverer, he's 80 years old. You know, it's a tough time to start being the deliverer, Right? But then he takes the people of God out of that bondage, going through the Red Sea. They get to the, to the mount uh, where God's presence is. And what does God give them there? He gives them the first words of God. The first written words of God are given to the people of God. It's pretty amazing. It's almost like he gave them the first Bible. Now, what happened after they got that Bible? Well, they struggled a little bit. They had about 40 years, 38 years of wandering. And when they wandered during those 38 years, what were they looking for? They were looking for a promised land. Now, if you understand that whole, that paradigm, when you understand it from the helicopter view, that's us. When, when, we're, when we are aware of our own conditions, we're sinners. We're in bondage to sin. We can't run from it. We can't hide from it. We're in bondage to sin. And then what we do is we cry out, we need help, help, help. And in God's timing, he shows us a deliverer. Now, Moses was a type of Christ, but he pointed to Christ. Just like when you often have a preacher or you have a, an evangelist or you have a neighbor or even a parent that loves you, and you end up learning about Jesus, that's part of the deliverance. And then he frees you and he washes you clean. And you kind of pass through the Red Sea. You're under the blood of Christ. And once you've been forgiven, judgment doesn't come anymore. And then the word of God is open to you. And you hear the one, you know who the author is. And the word of God becomes precious to you. And then you have the rest of your life before you go home to the promised land. Like our brother Don Bear just went. To cross the proverbial Jordan. That's the whole books of Moses. It's a beautiful picture of salvation, how God saves us and how he delivers us and he takes us home. But when you get to the book of Joshua, it's a whole different metaphor. It's a whole new picture and sometimes we never get it. When God sent them in, it's not about, it's not about the justification, it's about sanctification. The picture of the book of, jo of Joshua is that there is this promised land that they're, they're supposed to possess. This is the way it's supposed to be. And he gives them this beautiful portrait of a, of a land that is free. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a place that you want to live. That's why they call it the promised land. You know, we're going to the promised land. The problem was when they crossed over the Jordan and went into the promised land, there were some things there that didn't seem very promising. 
And today's message, and if you look at the bulletin card in effect, the first thing they really saw was this little this city of Jericho. I call it little because it's really small in comparison to New York City. But when you understand, Jericho was one of the symbols, of one, it's one of the cities of the oldest civilizations that, that we know of. When they crossed over that Jordan and, and they came into that valley, the Jericho Valley, with the oasis there at, at Jericho, they had the palm trees and they had things. I mean, most people today only remember Jericho because that's where Zacchaeus climbed a tree. But Jericho goes way, 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 way back. And I believe that what we're going to see today in the book of Jericho is the Jericho effect on God's people. Because to see the metaphor is, is that all the things that are in the promised land that need to go, they need to go. And God raised up Joshua and he said, the mission that you have, be strong and be courageous. It's not going to be easy. That's why he told them twice, be strong and be courageous. But what is, what is, what's the battle? When we look at those people, they were having to battle these strongholds that were in the land that God said were going to be removed. The metaphor for us, and I'm going to read it again, the metaphor for us is the strongholds of sin that we hang on to, our pet sins, our default sins, the things that we do that we've even convinced ourselves that they're not even wrong anymore because that's what we do. You're going to find that the Jericho effect is very, very powerful. But that is why the challenge to Joshua was to be strong and to be courageous. Now, when we hear this text in chapter 7, we're seeing one of the people that was affected by Jericho. And uh, when you look at it, who is Achan? Does he come from any great lineage? Well, yes, he does come from the tribe of Judah. But nobody knows Achan until we find out Achan is a bad guy. But is he really a bad guy? In my doctorate work, I've been studying Aiken because he mar makes me marvel. And when we look at him today, I think you're going to probably feel more like him than like Joshua. But the same command for all of us is to be strong and courageous. And that's why this text is so powerful. Joshua, the leader of God's army, he is the one that comes to little no-named Aiken. Aiken is a nobody. And he looks at Aiken because in chapter 7, Aiken's been caught. My son, let me give you the deep voice. My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and give praise to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. I don't know if Joshua had a sweet, soft little voice. I don't think he did. And I think if you were Achan, you might have wanted to find a restroom real quick. This was not a good, fun place to be. It reminds me of the judgment seat of Christ that we'll all stand before one day. Some people are afraid of that. But you need not be afraid. Before we finish the sermon today, you'll understand why. Achan was afraid. Achan answers in verse 20, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and, and this is what I did. I mean, Joshua just told him, Tell the truth. This is what I did. When I, verse 21, when I saw among the spoil of Jericho I, a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and I saw 200 shekels of silver, and I saw a gold bar weighing 50 shekels, then, then I coveted them, 
and I took them. And you can go look. You can go see. They are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath them. I think now you understand this text. Lord God, I pray that you will teach us and show us things that we didn't know before. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There's a lot of things going on in this particular text, uh, but as we're here on Labor Day, and I wanted to give a little bit more fun introduction than that, uh, I wanted you to think about uh, life's a beach, you know, it's a salt life. We, I mean, my goodness, uh, so many of us have such blessings that, you know, the things that we, we get upset about is that the internet doesn't work. Or, or um, you know, the weather kind of ruined it for us a little bit because it didn't stay sunny the way we wanted it. I mean, we are, we are so privileged and so blessed that we barely even understand what, it, what suffering really is. But yet people are flocking to the beach. And uh, I was thinking about that song that's uh, from one of the spirituals. Forget your troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all your cares away. Shout hallelujah, come on, get happy, get ready for the judgment day. Now, if, you, if I start doing this and give you a little bit more rhythm and we start getting to it, some of you might start smiling actually. Because we need this, we want it, we want things to be heavenly. You know, none of us would want to go into the promised land and have to do anything. If we went to the promised land, we would expect the food to be served to us. My goodness, it was served to them when they were out in the wilderness. If we went into the promised land, we would like to be able to sleep in in the mornings. We don't want to have to work. You see, the strange thing about all of this is that Achan is a lot like us. He was looking for a little bit of happiness. And Jericho was a metaphor for this world. In the four weeks, and if you pull your bulletin card out, you'll see uh, the emphasis here is the first one on Achan, then on Rahab, and then the group that went to Ai, and then Joshua himself. I want to be able to show you how the city, how the world, how this zeitgeist affects Christians, those who are in the covenant community of God. Today, we're looking at a member of the rising generation, how it affected him. Next week, we're going to look at a new convert that was brought into the covenant community. Then after that, we're going to look at a subset of the whole community, folks who were very confident that they knew what it was going to take. And then at the end, we're going to try to get into Joshua's head, one of the leaders, and how Jericho affected him. It is quite powerful. The world is like a magnet, and it draws us in. It's like gravity, and the seducing power of it just keeps pulling and pulling, seducing you to want more than, you ha than what God has provided, seducing you to care for, uh, uh, for the status quo rather than for the change that's on the horizon, seducing you to fear the fate of the future, seducing you to think that you're impervious if you just do things the way you like to do them. That's what Jericho had an affecting on some of God's people. Now, in particular, today we're looking at Achan. If you have your fourth point, you'll be able to follow along with me. There were three things about Achan. The Jericho effect on him was that he coveted what Jericho had. Secondly, the Jericho effect on him, he decided to assist God in the provision that he wanted. And the third thing, the Jericho effect on him was he ended up forgetting the discipleship training that he had received. 
If you're following along with the three D's that are, that are printed for you on the front of the bulletin, you'll see that he desired more than what God had provided him. Secondly, he decided to, uh, to help God out by taking some for himself. And third, he disregarded his training within the covenant community. Easy to remember those three. Sad when the shoe fits. Here we go. The first thing, the effect that this world had on Achan was that he desired more. And the title of my message should be, Is God Enough for You? Apparently, it wasn't enough for, for Achan. Achan is, to, is there in this interesting situation. We learn about his name, as I said, because he had some desire in his heart. Uh, he wanted something more. He coveted what Jero ha- Jericho had in abundance. He was feeling that what he had wasn't enough. This is a direct attack on God by saying God is not Jehovah Jireh. He really doesn't provide what I want. In this particular passage, I'm in chapter 7 rather than in chapter 5, 6. Uh, I wanted to be able to explain to you that Joshua, Joshua has caught uh, Achan. And Achan is now on trial because, uh, because of his desire. His heart wanted more. And uh, it's, it's really sad that here's a man who had been walking through the wilderness for his whole life. He doesn't remember Egypt. He doesn't remember any of the things at Cairo or any of whatever city it was back then when the people left. He doesn't remember any big city. He did walk by a few places when they were dealing with kings of Amalek and a few others. But when he comes into the promised land, this is the first city that he's ever seen. And it's a great city. It has great big walls. It was known as a stronghold. This is the first thing that they end up running into. How are they going to deal with Jericho? Well, when we pick up the story in chapter 7, some things had already happened. Joshua had fought the battle of Jericho. The walls had already fallen down flat. And the reason that we're standing here is because one of the, armor, one of the, the military guys, if you want to call him a marine or whatever you want to call an infantryman, he's one of the people that is there when the walls come down and he goes into the city of Jericho for the first time. And when he goes into the city, it is amazing. All the people there, most of them have died. They've been on the walls. God had that all crumble down. Whew. And his eyes got big. He saw some things that he liked. The world has some neat things to offer. Now, in 2021, where do you see the neat things? Well, you can turn on your TV. You can open up your computer. You can even type in Amazon.com. And you can find all these neat things that you can own. You can even have them just appear at your doorstep. But for him, he had never seen these things. Or he had never seen the quantity. He had never seen them available to him. He's just been a wanderer out in the wilderness. And here he sees something that the world has to offer. Jericho has this in abundance They had these fancy clothes. They were even from some of the name brands. They weren't even outlet stuff. They were the expensive stuff. I saw that garment. And then he also sees some silver and gold. Now, do you think that he had a coin collection? I mean, he's born in the wilderness. What is he carrying around? What kind of riches and values does he have? The point I'm making is the world had a great big appeal on his heart. And while he was with the Christian community, 
It didn't draw him in. But once he heard these other voices, once he saw these other things, then he started to want what the world has to offer. And that's the first point. He was basically saying, his heart was telling him, God's not enough. I need more. Now, those of you that are kids, some of you may not remember, but I loved showing my kids the Veggie Tales with Madam Blueberry. And uh, so I had, I think I put it, the quotes of some of her, of her lyrics in here. They were pretty cool. Uh, she, she was the, the French girl, but she says, she's very blue. Uh, and, and she says, I'm so blue, I don't know what to do. And she says, uh, her butlers, whose names were Bob and Larry, would help her to, with her chores in the house. Bob would wash the dishes for her, but Madam Blueberry would start to cry because, she goes, these dishes are faded, dishes are chipped, this rose on the back, this rose is on backwards, and this one is flipped. These spoons are too tiny. These forks are no good. These knives have gone dull, and they don't slice what they should. And she goes on to say, my neighbors have nice things. I've seen them myself. In fact, I keep pictures up here on my shelf. Look at these new flatware, uh, Monsieur Lagoons, um, and Monsieur de Plains has 12 Franklin mint spoons. And Philip Van P went from went and bought a new sink. Why? He even has a disposal, I think. And look at this crock pot of Madame Lacrosse and ceramic jars where she keeps her sauces. She's so blue because everybody else has these things. And she doesn't know what to do. Very sad when you think about that. I remember the, there is a, another one from uh, Disney, Little Mermaid. She was the one that was Trident's daughter. She had everything you could have ever imagined. And yet she says, I want more. I think I can do some of the words. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them, streets? You know, she won all those extra things that people on land had because she was a mermaid. Never enough. It's easy to sing about other people actually not so hard to sing some of these songs when the music's playing. But what about you and I? Are we content? Or does the world appeal to us the way that it did to Achan? I want more. I'm not satisfied with what the, what the world has given me. I'm not satisfied what the church offers me. I want more! Second point is, the idea of the seduction of the heart leads to the seduction of the hands. Because if you look here, the teaching is, is that the idea of taking some of these things only happened after his heart lusted for them. If you read the text that I gave to you in, in, uh, right out of his own testimony in Joshua chapter uh, 19, uh, when Joshua, Joshua tells him, tell me the truth, verse 20, he says, I have sinned. In other words, I haven't listened to God. And he says, this is what I did, verse 21. I saw the stuff, the three things, and then he says, I coveted them. I coveted them. That's the first thing, where, where your heart is being drawn in and you want more. But then after the coveting, then you find the ugly things here is that they took them. I coveted them and I took them. This is interesting when our, when our action corresponds to our heart's desire. The things that we end up doing and saying, the things that, that our hands and our lips end up participating in, is often because our hearts have already been drawn into it. It's like falling into quicksand. That's when you start moving your hands and you're trying to kick out, which actually makes you go further and further in. 
It's so subtle when you hear this testimony, how sin messes things up. There was a way that seemed right to a person, but then it led to destruction. It led to very, very bad difficulty. The lust had turned into stealing. The lust had turned into hiding. Now, it's kind of interesting here because when he confesses this, he says, I've sinned against God, and he ends up quoting which commandment is coveting. Are you ashamed to confess that you don't know? It's the 10th, okay? Thou shalt not covenant is the 10th commandment. But it's kind of interesting that his heart to desire what other people had, to desire what the city had to offer that had in abundance, that breaking that 10th commandment was actually breaking other commandments too. Because he ends up having a different God than him, a different God than God, because now he has himself as the God. Who determines what you're going to do? Did God tell Achan to do this? No, God told Achan to go in there and to collect the stuff, but to turn it in because it's God's. But Achan said, hmm, did he really say that? You know, this is just like Genesis chapter 2 and 3. When Satan came to Adam and Eve and said, did God really say that? Is he God really trying to hold you back? And Eve said, I want more. I want to be like God. Achan is saying, I want to be rich. I want to have my own independence. I want to be able to do what I want to do. And so when his heart was moved, then his hands followed suit. This is a dangerous place when you find yourself giving your body and your flesh to sinful desires and actions. That's why the scripture says, love not the world in in 2 John. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It is a dangerous place when you start figuring this through. For all that is in the world, this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life, it is not from the Father, but it is from the world. It is Jericho's effect on us. And when we look around, how many things do we want that the world is telling us we want instead of telling us from God, that God is telling us that we have Because John tells the people the world is going to pass away. It is passing away with all of its desires. And whoever does the will of the God is the one that's going to last, that is going to abide. He says, children, it is the last hour. And you have heard that even the Antichrist is coming. And it's really, really interesting when you realize how the world entices folks. That even some that are with us may end up leaving us because they care for the things of the world more than they care for the things of God. Now, I told you that this sermon is an interesting one in that it deals with not only the, the heart and the hands, but also the head. And this is where I, I wanted to draw your point that the effect of the world on, on Achan was that he disregarded his training. He disregarded his training. He forgets the gospel. Now, you're going to say, Pastor, how does Achan know the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you this. What is the name of his leader? Joshua. What is the name of Jesus? Joshua. It's Yeshua. It's the same thing. It's just come from one language to the next. There's an awareness that God is raising somebody up to deliver him and to be able to help him and to get him through these things. Because if you remember the metaphor of the whole book of Joshua is that there are strongholds that need to be removed in sanctification. You are not to continue in the sins That grace may abound. Romans 6 says, Meganoite, may it never be. 
You should never love your sin more than you love God. Through his whole life. The, I, I'm fascinated with this. Because some of you, if you've been in this church for three years, I hope that you're more mature than you were when you came. I hope that you would never leave here and be dumber than you were when you came. I would pray that you would be more mature, that you'd be better equipped, that when you send out, I want to be able to celebrate you sending out. And that takes a lot out of a preacher to send out missionaries. I'd rather have them all come. When our, when our musicians were here, yes, I was making a, a, yes, I have a little bit of covetousness to say, boy, it'd be great to have you here and be a part of our team. But at the same time, I can rejoice and say, isn't it wonderful that there's another gospel witness up in Forest Hill, Maryland? You know, maybe some of my extended family will be there. It's really amazing when you can see the helicopter view. It takes it away from covetousness, covetousness to rejoicing. But the discipleship that he got, he didn't value. He didn't appreciate. And I wonder if you don't value that you've devalued yours and that you disregard what you've learned. How many of you even know things? How many of you have made growth in your spiritual progress to know the Word of God better? Can you, have you memorized any verses in 2021? Can I put you on the spot? If I had you to stand up and quote a verse... Jesus wept. John eleven thirty five. 35. You know what I'm kind of getting at. How easy is it for us to forget the things that have been taught to us? Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go so that when he's old, he won't forget. He won't disregard. Now, there's a lot of people in this world that are growing up without Christian influence, without any kind of church influence. There are so many people, even my son knows when he worked at Chick-fil-A, that they don't go to church. If you go to the Christian school, you can even talk to the, a lot of the teachers. They, their children, the children that attend a Christian school often don't have a home church. Kids don't listen to the Word of God being taught except when they're being paid to do it. it the, the whole idea of being trained seems to have been a 19th century thing. Oh, New Covenant Church tells us that we're deep and wide. We want you to have a deep relationship with God. Do you even know what that is? Do you cry over your sin? Do you ever have a wow moment where God just opens your eyes up? Or do you just go through the motions? Isn't church nice today? Great music. I like the pastor's knees. Joy is a good thing. Laughter is good for the soul. He that sits in the heavens can laugh. We can too. Because he can have the world in derision. The challenge that I wanted to bring you in this particular case is that Achan disregarded everything that he knew. It's almost like Esau giving his birthright up for a bowl of porridge. Was it worth it? Let me tell you a little bit about his training. This just blew me away. And if you're following along, if you're a historian, you're going to be able to understand it. But what were some of the things that, that Achan was exposed to? I'm telling you, this guy, he knew that God was Jehovah Jireh. God was the provider. I mean, he had been in the wilderness for almost 38 years or, or some part of it. Let's say he's 30 years old. He, he had eaten that food. Where did the food come from? Did they get it from the, uh, from the food lion or from Acme or from Giant? No. 
They got it from him. He sent down manna from heaven. He even told the birds to fly in their direction so they could have quail because some of them, they, they didn't know about chicken over there, so they ended up eating quail. They had water galore because God would make the water flow from the rock. They were never having to be thirsty. They didn't have to go to the local pub because God took care of what they needed. He knew Jehovah Jireh. What about Achan's clothes? Did he have an old navy card or did he have a gap card? You know, did he go to the outlets whenever he needed to be able to get an updated clothing appearance? No, the clothes that they had, they didn't wear out. God took care of those things. What about the heat and the light? Well, you know, they're out in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but at nighttime, it sometimes gets a little cold. Well, God provided this pillar for light at night, and it would also serve as shade in the day. They didn't have to have sunglasses. You know, they didn't have polarized lenses for their eyes or anything. God took care of them. He would lead them in the right direction, even without a Garmin, even without a GPS on Siri on your smartphones. He led them where they needed to go. He knew about God's holiness because he had been there and seen with his own eyes when the ground opened up and people were swallowed. And he saw when the snakes were coming out of everything and they were biting people and there was poison everywhere. And, and then he saw the leader put up that snake on the stick and people looked and they were healed. He saw Moses. He saw Moses. He probably was there when Moses came down and he said, children, I don't know how he talked. Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. <laughs> he was there. He heard the teaching of Moses. And then, let me tell you, that was not only the experiential, but also the teaching that he got because the word of God was put in their lips or put in their ears. Then you could say that when they finally got to the promised land, this whole idea, does God deliver, does he take care of us? Well, they get to the promised land and there's this river in front of them. It was much bigger than what the one is now. And when this river's in front of them, they were all told to line up in a certain way with their own group. And then, then the, the people with the, uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the priests, they stepped into that water. It's almost like me stepping off this ledge. They didn't sink. It was so amazing when you realize that Achan was one of the people whose feet stepped into the river and didn't step on any water. It was dry. And when he came out the other side, he was one of those people who saw the Ebenezer that we sing about. Here I raise my Ebenezer. You don't know what I'm talking about. It was the 12 rocks that each of the tribes pulled a rock out of the Jordan when they were walking through. And they stuck it on the promised land side. And they built this rock standing. I imagine some of those were big rocks. If you ever get to go through the Bible Museum and you walk through the Old Testament, you'll see a, a, a resemblance of it, and they put the names on each of the rocks to help you get a picture. What I'm trying to tell you is Achan saw the Ebenezer. Achan walked through the dry ground. Achan did all those things. How could he forget? How could he say that God's not enough? And then I want to tell you something else. When all two million people stopped at Gilgal, Gilgal doesn't have a big wall or anything. It was just a place where they set up tents. By the way, that's where the gold and the silver and the cloak from Shinar were put in one of those tents at Gilgal. When they all settled down at Gilgal, you would think, wow, we're finally here. We got it together. No more wilderness. Yay. They ate from the fruit of the land. 
The next day, no more manna. You can read about that in chapter 5. Achan was eating the fruit of the land. You know, it was promised that it would be a land flowing with milk and honey. He had all that to look forward to. But did, did I skip over something? Let's see. There were two sacraments. Circumcision and the Passover. Have you ever seen a baptism or a Lord's Supper? Is that just a little ceremony and a little snack? I hope it never is to any of you. That's why I want to make sure that nobody eats and drinks unworthily. And that's why I want all of you to be baptized, just like Jesus said you should be if you're in Him. But if you look at the Old Testament, the two sacraments were both bloody. The circumcision and the Passover. There was blood. Why did they have blood? Hmm. Circumcision was not a beautiful thing. Joshua was told to get a lot of the knives sharpened. And uh, I guess sharpening was a good idea. But you know who they used the knives on? Achan. And everybody else that was going to go to war. All the males. Anybody that was a part of God's covenant community was set apart. I don't love to dwell on it, but I'm always fascinated by it because it's through this ceremony that you're supposed to understand that if you're going to be part of God's people, then you're going to be identified. And the symbol, the sign of the blood, when I, and, and that's really significant. And the reason why it's so significant is because God said so. God said, I'm not going to bless you in taking on Jericho. I'm not going to bless you in taking on this world or taking down the strongholds of the world unless you are identified with me. I will be your God, you will be my people. That's exactly what it said to Abraham and all of his descendants. And everybody since then was supposed to be circumcised. And, and these people that had wandered in the wilderness, including Achan, didn't listen, didn't obey, because their parents didn't listen and didn't obey. And now they're saying, yes, sir, at Gilgal. Now, when you're an adult, this happens, and I don't think they had morphine or any of those other drugs. This was noticeable. And then the humorous part of it, God told them they needed to walk around Jericho and be quiet for six days. Now, that was one of the sacraments that I'm trying to tell you that I think he understood some of the semblance of the gospel, of the doctrines of grace. Because he's saying, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Because that's the other thing they did. They had the communion service. He said, while they were there, while they were healing, they had communion. That meant they did get the animals. They sliced them and, and brought about the blood. And then they had the bitter herbs and all that kind of stuff. And they were t teaching them, just like they had taught the little children in Exodus 12, that when you see the blood, God's wrath will pass over over you. Did you ever see the gospel in the Old Testament before? It's there. That's why I bring us to the application and I'll wrap up. There you have Achan. Achan has experienced all this training. He's experienced these things. He's lived among the, the covenant community. He's known Moses. You know, he probably hasn't met Joshua. Until chapter 7. Achan had everything the covenant community offers. Membership has its privileges. But Achan wanted more. Do you? This is a subtle temptation this world offers. And when you want more, you end up doing dumb things. You end up acting like the stuff that's in this world, the stuff that's in Jericho, it's worth it. 
I want to fill my bank account. I mean, the poor guy, he got his bars of, a bar of gold and his shekels of silver, and he brings them, and what can he do with them? Did he put them on his mantle? No, he had to bury them. It's like a pastor getting a hole-in-one on Sunday when he skips church. He can't brag about it. I'm glad some of you got that. The point I'm trying to say is that it didn't satisfy. When you look around and you start wanting more than what Jesus offers you, you're being deceived. You're just flat out being deceived. I'm going to be looking at how the seduction of the world affects in other areas, but this was saying, is God enough? Is what Christ did for you enough? Poor Achan. When he took that stuff and he said, I can help God out. He's not a good enough supplier for me, so I'll just pitch in. If any of you think that that's how you can do salvation, God didn't save you well enough. He didn't fix you from all these broken things. He didn't fix all the broken relationships. So you're going to do some self-help stuff. You're going to go to these counselors or secular people, or you're going to even resort to using some techniques like giving money away. You could just buy people's happiness, and everybody will get along with you. Well, just talk to the prodigal son. How long did they stay his friends? Until the money ran out. Right now, the government is acting like your friend. It's giving you lots and lots of money. The money's going to run out. Socialism doesn't work. Now, what I'm trying to tell you, though, is, is that in this whole di dynamic, Aiken has been listening to the wrong things, and then his actions get on the wrong team, and then there's a day of accountability, and he's standing before the particular uh, Yeshua, and he says, tell the truth. One day we're going to stand before God. I told you at the beginning, some of you are deathly afraid because of what you're doing that you've hidden in your tent. How many people knew what was in Achan's tent? I'm not even sure his wife knew. Scripture doesn't tell us if his kids knew. They probably did. They probably didn't think it was such a big deal because dad did it. You know, dad's a G.I. Joe. Dad just went and took off and conquered Jericho. Dad's doing this. And they would convince themselves that dad was okay doing this. Now they're standing before the judge. And if you look at the rest of chapter 7, you're going to find that Joshua looks at him and he says, why have you troubled Israel? Why do you act like you're one of God's people when you're not acting like one of God's people. I'm going to get into the AI situation a little later, but this is what brought it to a head. And this is where I have to finish it. It's so hard to digest this. I want Joshua to say, it's okay, Achan. Just go your way and be forgiven. Do you know the rest of the story? After Achan confessed his sin, then Achan's wife was brought out and his kids were brought out. Everything that Achan owned, everything about that tent was brought out. And then they had capital punishment. And the people around there were to pick up stones and bring his life to an end. Everything about Achan was brought to an end. end. Boy, Pastor, that's really uplifting on Labor Day. We want to 
We want to get happy. We want to forget our troubles. <laughs> what happened with Achan? He doesn't appear to have understood who Jesus is. Now, some of you might say, oh, that was Old Testament. They were really harsh. Let me take you to Acts chapter 5. I could bring it right up there on the screen and show you. Ananias and Sapphira, what happened to them? Did they get grace upon grace? No, Ananias died when his wife came in uh, just a few hours later, and she confessed to the same thing, that, or she, she covered up the same thing, and she was dead too. Is God able to end a person's life? He is. Why? Because in these particular passages, the way that his grace is extended to the readers, to those who know the story, because they didn't have to include it. The reason we know this story is so that we could see that God does not embrace sin. Not even when you think you're helping him out. Your good works do not merit salvation. See if you can finish this verse with me. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone would boast. We're on Labor Day and everybody's going to have to go back to work. At least if, you, if your job still lets you come, if you don't have to wear a mask or put on a shot or whatever it is, if you can even get people to work for you. Okay, when you start looking at all this kind of stuff, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to be doing the good works that he has before ordained that we should be doing. I want to encourage you, Achan knew better. Achan appears not to have been in the grace of God because even though he was a covenant uh, community member, he was a covenant breaker. And God was teaching the rest of the covenant community that he will by no means clear the guilty. And that is why it takes us to the cross of Jesus Christ over here now. The cross is empty. Because Jesus, the greater than Joshua, didn't come and just say, what did you do? The one greater than Joshua said, I know what you did, and I'm going to go take your punishment for you. That's the gospel. Now, the works that we now do, Philippians 3, he says, laying everything else behind. Now, the, or Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's the gospel. Do you know Christ? Lord Jesus, as we conclude this message today, I pray that we would never say that you're not enough. Your grace is enough. Your, your, your atoning work is enough. Your patience is enough. And what you've gone to prepare for us is even beyond our imagination. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things that you've prepared for those that are in you, that are in Christ, that love you. Lord, I thank you for this message, and I do pray that we will not fall into the trap of the world, that the effect of Jericho on us would, would be that we are content in Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of the faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Please stand and join us to sing our final hymn. And can it be that I... 
dressed in the Savior's blood. Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so free, so infinite his grace, humbled himself so great. And bled for Adam's helpless race, emptied himself, but all but love. I'm sorry. <laughs> These are all different words than I. <laughs> uh, is it? Uh, is that what the next word is? Free. <laughs> can explore his strange design. In vain the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Tis mercy all condemnation no condemnation now i dread jesus and all in him is mine alive in him my living head and clothed in righteousness divine bold i approach the eternal throne and Amazing love, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? <laughs> it's amazing love. You're so glad you guys are here. Uh, as we wrap up things together, as we've come to meet with God, I pray that you have encountered the living and true God. As David said before he went to stand before Goliath, there is a God in Israel, and I know him. If there's someone here today that doesn't know God, who's still trapped in the bondage of Egypt, 
I want to encourage you to come and pray with the elders today and know that path that you can be forgiven. If there's some of you here today that are having these strongholds in your life, the Jerichos, they keep seducing you to go back, to go back, and to go back. God can tear those walls down and liberate you and to be able to give you the forgiveness that we find in the end of chapter 7. I want to encourage you to come and pray with the elders. As you go forth today, there's a lot of people you know that don't know Christ. They're more excited about which team is going to win, you know, which, which fantasy draft you've gotten, what quarterback, what running back. I want you to know you need to know who has your back, and that's Jesus Christ. He is enough. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that your grace will be enough for us today to see us through. Lord, there, everyone in this room knows we've sinned. We've all fallen short of your glory. None of us are righteous, as Paul says, no, not one. Lord, I pray that we would never abuse that grace. May we never want to continue in sin so that the grace may abound, even though your grace can superabound. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you bid us to come to you and to be righteous. You bid us to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to you, no compromise, for you are enough. As we leave this place today and we enter into the fall season and we remember the summer of 21, Lord, I pray that we might remember that you've been with us and that your rod and your staff, they'll comfort us as you lead us in the path of righteousness because of your name that we bear. Lord, I pray that you will grow your church. I pray that it will advance and the gates of Haiti would not be able to thwart us. Oh, Lord, I pray that as we look forward, you will raise up those who will be about kingdom business, that they will be laboring in the kingdom and doing the things that you have before ordained that they should be doing, that we should be doing. We pray for your institution of the church, that it will not become dull and ineffective. Oh, Lord, I pray that we might lift up the light of God's Word even as we've done today. And I pray that you will draw all kinds of people to yourself as we do. To God be the glory. We thank you in the name of our Joshua, even Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray and we give thanks. And all God's people say amen and hallelujah and Jesus is Lord. We'll see you next.